Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the world's biggest ideas and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And ever since Bitcoin was created, people have been launching all different types of digital coins. First, there was Bitcoin, obviously, but now there's Litecoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, Stellar, Monero, and the list goes on and on. And people like to trade cryptocurrencies to try and turn a profit, or at least keep track of trades that they're going to make in a different currency. But to make accurate trading decisions, you need accurate data. In regular currencies, we would turn to banks or the stock markets to get this kind of information. But in the crypto space, coin market cap is the go-to destination for all of this information. And at RISE conference in Hong Kong in July, I had the opportunity to speak with Carolyn Chan, the head of marketing at Coin Market Cap. So in this episode of Moonshot, we're going to get an update on the cryptocurrency space from someone who works at one of the most important cryptocurrency websites around. CoinMarketCap is basically the number one place in the world to check cryptocurrency information. So people go there to check crypto prices, crypto exchange volumes, which exchanges to trade on, things like that. So I think we have more and more uh, content on the site. So hopefully people have been getting a lot of value out of that. It looks like a stock market for cryptocurrencies. I think it is very basic. <laughs> and I think it was intended that way. Um, I just took a picture of, of the site now and I compared it to the site in 2013 when it was when it just started and I think there's not much difference like honestly I think maybe the font is a little bit different and maybe we changed the lines so they were not so jarring but it looks pretty much the same so I think like it's always been a deliberate design choice to make it like super clean and super uh, not distracting so people can just focus on the on the numbers that are being presented <laughs> And a lot of what it's showing you is is like total valuation of the various cryptocurrencies, how many coins in circulation, th- that type of information. Is there any other sorts of information that uh, service provides? So I think the interesting thing about uh, CoinMarketCap was so with the name itself, like um, what happened was our founder when he started CoinMarketCap, he really wanted a way to evaluate how other cryptocurrencies are doing versus Bitcoin at that point in time, uh, and so basically. Uh, how he started doing that was measuring this thing called market cap. So he borrowed that term from traditional finance, the market cap concept, so that he applied it to coins, so coin market cap. So he wasn't very creative with the naming, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it worked out. It's very clear, right? So I think he, he brought that concept in, and then he also uh, brought in the concept of circulating supply into the space. So uh, that's also kind of approximation from like the public float concepts in equities so basically just like what is circulating among uh, people who can invest in, and buy it freely right so I think that has been quite a core thing so the price of a crypto times the circulating supply equals the market cap so I think that is what people come to CMC to look at so the price the volume as well as uh, the market capitalization so like other than those stuff obviously people come to see like exchanges that they can trade on what those volumes are and we're actually adding more and more of other data like uh, intro to crypto guide so we added that because people came on the site and they were like i have no idea what i'm looking at these are just numbers so we wanted a way to you know kind of 
because last year we had about 125 million users come on the site, uh, unique. So I think a lot of them were new to crypto and we wanted a way to guide them along. So like we've been adding a lot of kind of intro material on site as well as off site, like uh, on emails or on our Telegram uh, chatbot. So to help people to kind of ease into the crypto market. When did you first uh, sort of become inter interested in the crypto space? So I think before CoinMarketCap, I was working on my own startup in the AI space. So after I exited the company, we sold that. Uh, I took a break. I went to do consulting, and at that point in time, someone told me that you, you know, like if you're if you can read AI papers, you can definitely read blockchain papers. So that's how I kind of started researching the space and learning a lot more about the technology and I really enjoyed what I was reading. So um, I think then I managed to get in contact with uh, the CoinMarketCap founder through uh, several intros and then uh, that's how you know we got started talking about it. And I think CFC has been an interesting place to be at because you have a kind of bird's eye view of where everyone is going, whether there's a project, whether there's are exchanges. So I think it's been quite fun for me to be kind of involved in understanding uh, at a high level and a big picture way, like where the industry has been moving. I mean, the cryptocurrency market has evolved incredibly since CMC first, uh, you know, came about. Um, in the time that you've been involved, have you noticed any any kind of trends happening in the crypto space, uh, you know, especially over the past sort of 12 months? Yeah, I think just kind of, I mean, beyond 12 months, I think because CFC has been around for six years. I think I've been also kind of tracking where that has been over the years. I think like 2013, we saw a lot of clones and then later on we saw like, you know, kind of uh, pre-mined coins, proof of stake became popular and then we saw like FAT protocols, you know, things like that. So like more and more of that. And I guess now uh, recently, other than like kind of the buzzy stuff, which hasn't really come to fruition, like STOs or whatever, I think there's been a lot more focus on uh, just things that are more geared towards mainstream adoption. Like for example, Libra, when we first uh, listed that on the site, like we had massive traffic, people were just coming on CMC just to look at what's happening on Libra. So I think there's that, there's a lot more of uh, that kind of presence now in the space, institutional slash uh, kind of more bigger tech companies coming to the space. So I think like that definitely has been a trend that we see. And part of that's also because we run our data business. So like we, we um, provide data through our API to enterprises, to uh, companies, uh, startups, as well so like we see that people have been using the data to build uh, all kinds of apps so like from DeFi to like blockchain phones to like uh, gambling applications things like that like there has been a lot more focus on building that kind of applications in this past year so I think that's been quite interesting as well to see. A few months ago Facebook announced that they were getting into the cryptocurrency space in a really big way and right after this break we'll explore the impact that Facebook's announcement has had on the markets. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. And in June this year, Facebook announced that they were getting into the cryptocurrency space with the creation of Libra. Libra is a cryptocurrency that the social giant wants to integrate into its platforms to facilitate digital payments and reach the unbanked. Rightfully, the announcement generated an awful lot of noise, but what tangible impact did Libra have on the markets? 
I think like, there are a few facets to that. So like uh, one thing, just based on the traffic, I can see that there are a lot of kind of new users that came onto the site, like kind of learning about that. They were like, oh, like I guess like I want to learn more about what crypto is now that like there is this Facebook Libra Association thing going on. So um, we do see that trend. So having more spotlight on the crypto uh, market. Well, I guess I would say like just crypto in general as a concept, and also blockchain as a technology. So that's been kind of more bust. Like people around me. They have never been interested in crypto. They're like, actually, like, tell me more about this crypto thing. Like, what is that? Like, why is Facebook doing this? And I think that has been uh, encouraging, I think. And uh, other than that, I think, like, with Facebook coming in and the other association members, I think that kind of visibility will help us to push uh, just relationships, regulators. Like, people have to think very hard now about uh, what does it mean if people take over um, the minting of currencies, basically. So like, I think like central banks are super worried, and uh, some of the ones that we've talked to are just like, well, like what about like price manipulation? Like what do you th- what do you think about like sovereignty, things like that? So I think like these are all good conversations that are going on because of it. Right, which is which is one of the big concerns with like Bitcoin is like concentration of power in you know who owns who who owns those seventeen million bitcoins that are in existence at the moment. Are you noticing a shift in the conversation away from? Well, okay. Well, I'm just going to you know invest in cryptocurrency because it's a good you know it's a way to make money versus actually having some kind of tangible use case for these technologies. I think my honest answer is that most people are still interested in crypto because of the speculative aspect. Uh, and we do see that, like, that's part of the reason why CMC is so popular. People come on, they look at the site like five or ten times a day. Because uh, it's kind of like a variable reward for their brain, right? They're just like, they get a hit every time they look at the prices. Uh, so I think, like, there's definitely, like, still a very huge influence uh, in terms of just people looking at um, crypto as a way to have fun uh, with the kind of ups and downs in the markets. Um, But I think just based on like projects that are focused on use cases, I do see more people interested in doing stuff in that aspect. I just think that it might take a longer time for that to come to fruition. So like maybe in the next year or two, like we will see more of the use cases that will really come up. But in the meantime, like in the short term, I still see mostly people coming in uh, based on that, riding on that kind of speculative wave. When you look at the many various cryptocurrencies, a growing number should really be thought of more as a token rather than money. The Ethereum blockchain, for instance, allows things like digital contracts, and many developers are using these cryptocurrencies as a back-end processing system for things like their gaming apps, allowing them to utilise blockchain technology behind the scenes without the complexity for the users. So with the rise in these token-based blockchains, it makes me wonder whether the definition of a cryptocurrency fundamentally needs to change. Yeah, and I think that's something that uh, I've been having conversations with people at the company about. So like we've always called it like top 100 cryptocurrencies, right? When you first like land on the site. And I think that we need to shift it more towards like just categorizing it like to, as crypto assets. Like these are some, some of these are meant to be assets or are used as tokens or are used as part of a bigger system and not as currencies. So I think like it is a misnomer for us to keep calling them cryptocurrencies because they really are not. Um, so I think like that has been something that is kind of gradual because people still think of crypto like because it's speculative, like people look at prices and so they're like, oh, there is a price. It's kind of like money, like it's kind of like something that I could like 
uh, pack against something that I'm familiar with. So that's why I think like people still think of it as cryptocurrencies. But I do agree. Like now that there are more applications, as there are going to be more use cases, kind of like more non-fungible tokens, like in gaming applications, or you know, just like um, assets in like the decentralized finance space. I think like we need to move that conversation a bit more and uh, relook at how we are terming things in the space. So yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Are there any, you know, tokens that are doing really interesting things that you're you're kind of like paying close attention to? You know, is there like top sort of like two or three coins that you're paying attention to? I think for us, like, so obviously I can't name like specific names for neutrality, but I think there are a few. Uh, kind of projects that we are interested in, lo- in looking at. So like part of it's like, obviously decentralized finance is a big one because like, I guess for us, uh, when CMC was founded, like that was uh, kind of right after the financial collapse and that was in Queens, so pretty near like where the meltdown happened. So I think there is a bit of a philosophy, uh, philosophy internally that like, you know, we want to move the, pave the way forward for kind of just more, uh, sovereignty like self-sovereignty for people and like people to be able to own their own assets and not have to kind of be bear the brunt of other people's mistakes or decisions so i think like uh that uh kind of decentralized finance angle has been very attractive to a lot of us at the company i think uh gaming is a big one because uh, a lot of people at coin rocket camp are like huge gamers so uh actually a lot of them when they started like even the founder like he was a huge ddr player uh he was a huge fan as well so like he's been doing that for for like decades so like a lot of the people that have been uh, working at CFC are big DDR players and fans so I think like there is a big uh, <laughs> kind of gaming uh, skew in that sense so I think people looking really at like how games kind of like tokens like can be kind of transferred across different games or like how um, you know there are applications for them to uh, evaluate and also kind of uh, bring games together in the same ecosystem things like that so I think like gaming has been a huge one and I guess like some of the other ones are just general things that are very useful for most other people um, to, to, to think about for example like scaling tokens scaling coins I think like those um, would be essential and I guess lastly would be the mainstream types like even the ones which are not necessarily um, a cryptocurrency like Libra <laughs> like I think that those are essential for us to grow the space, right? So when we think about uh, CoinMarketCap, like our price, our traffic is pretty much 90% correlated to Bitcoin price. So when the correlation is that high, you know that you need to grow the pie in order for the business to continue to be viable over time. So I think like we've been super supportive of anything that really drives adoption, really drives eyeballs to crypto uh, as a concept, to blockchain technology as a whole, and doing our part to drive um, education on that end as well. And we'll be back shortly with more of our interview with CoinMarketCap's Carolyn Chan. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. And before the break, Carolyn Chan was sharing some thoughts around particular trends she was seeing in the cryptocurrency space. And as she mentioned, CoinMarketCap's web traffic can be largely tied to the price of Bitcoin. And around the time that Facebook announced Libra, there was an influx of people speculating in the cryptocurrency markets, 
driving prices higher. So I wondered whether this had resulted in a significant increase in traffic to the CoinMarketCap website. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I think it's always been like that's why I was because I was running the numbers, right? So it's quite interesting. Like er, like since 2013, it's always been like that. It's like spikes along the way. So like whenever there is a spike in Bitcoin price, it's a huge spike in traffic. And also at the same time, like when it's like kind of when it's volatile, that also happens. Like because it's more interesting, people want to see what's happening. But when it's like going down, like people don't want to look at the site. They're like, I'm over it. Like <laughs> I don't want to look at it. It's painful. So <laughs> I think. That has been like a super funny trend for me as, as I'm looking at the numbers. So yeah, I think there has been a big spike in traffic recently. <laughs> Some would say that that CMC like really like encourages that kind of like <laughs> atmosphere in the market. Do you agree with that? Um, I think I think it is part of it. I think because like it makes it super accessible. Like people can just look at the price and they're just like, hey, give me a hit, give me a hit, right? Like tell me what the price is right now. So I think um, it makes it fun, but also a bit too addictive for some people. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the arguments always against against cryptocurrencies is that like they they do have this ability to be manipulated by you know particular individuals. But then when we look at traditional traditional currencies uh, you know the argument was always that these are kind of like locked to specific ecosystems etc but there are countries working on making their currencies more global we're seeing the rise of uh, you know companies like transferwise etc which are making it a lot easier to transfer to transfer you know currencies internationally at a price that makes sense and some you know if we looked at cryptocurrencies some cryptocurrencies suffer from extremely high transaction, uh, you know, costs, etc. Um, like, what's the solution to to that? And how do cryptocurrencies exist in a world where uh, traditional currencies are becoming more accessible internationally? Yeah, I think the trend for accessible international currency, that's like something that there are a lot more people trying to solve that problem. So like with payment providers and things like that, I think like it, we're on that trend. So like crypto has to obviously be part of that ecosystem as well. So like when I think about that, um, the anecdote, I guess, would be if I'm trying to send a hundred million dollars across the world, which I'm not, but I'm saying hypothetically, I want to do that. Like, it's still a lot cheaper to do it on, let's say, a Bitcoin blockchain rather than send it through TransferWise even or just any of the other SWIFT-enabled banks, right? So, like, it'll take me like three to five bucks maybe for you to transfer that via Bitcoin. Whereas like if you were to use like a bank, like 3% of that is a lot of money that you're losing just because you want to transfer a lot of money uh, overseas. So I think like it depends on the scale at which we're talking about like enabling payments, right? So for like kind of regular people like us, like if you want to do like kind of day-to-day -day transfers, I think like right now having that kind of accessibility, like just uh, remittances and stuff, like I think it's working well, but there are definitely areas where uh, kind of DeFi is trying to solve some of these problems around like remittances where like you know kind of money transfer is too expensive from country to country and that takes a huge chunk out of the money that's being transferred and that is actually a huge impact on people's livelihoods on the other end on the receiving end so I think there is a bit of that shift as well so like even though it is getting cheaper it's getting faster to do normal fiat transfers like crypto does have a a role to play in making sure that you know using the, the core technology we can actually solve a lot of the other problems that um, normal transfers are not solving yet 
how, how do we actually make uh, cryptocurrencies easier to use? Because they have been very difficult to use and there have been some, you know, some kind of workarounds to try and make it, to make them easier. But it seems to me that one of the one of the barriers to entry with crypto is that they are difficult to sort of, you know, actually access. So how do we how do we solve for that? I agree as well. I think it's actually really hard for someone to get into this. So like, uh, so my mom was asking about crypto the other day. She's like, how do I buy Bitcoin? Like, how do I store that? And so I. I used it as an experiment. I wanted to see like how hard or how easy it would be. So I asked her like, okay, like try to open this, uh, try searching for how to buy Bitcoin and like figure it out on your own. And I'm just like watching her being a mean person. <laughs> um, but I think it was really hard. So like first thing, like how to understand like grasping the whole concept, like you have to hold your own money. Like if you lose your keys, you're dead, things like that. I think like it's very, very um, scary for some people. Like they trust banks because they don't want to have to deal with all of that and I think moving from a place like that to where like crypto can be ubiquitous I think needs a lot of design work um, a lot of like uh, user experience work so like of course part of it is like how do you make keys more accessible how do you make uh, your kind of wallet design better how do you make the whole exchange process better things like that and I think it's very incremental, like as we are building small blocks of it, like making this more kind of optimized, making this more um, user friendly, like we would get to a point where it's not that scary for people to onboard on the wallet and figure out how to store it, like, you know, figure out their um, safe phrases or things like that. And I think there will be more and more products that will help to solve some of these problems. So hopefully, um, I don't think it's immediate. I think there's a lot of work left still. So maybe it's like five years out. And do you think that sort of like solving some of those issues will help with the trust factor? I think yes and no. I think the trust factor depends on like what you're referring to. Like for example, um, people trust their banks right now because they think maybe they don't really understand like kind of fundamentally like what they are doing when they are entrusting the banks. Like for example, and for the most part it works well. I think it works fine for many of us like day to day, right? And I think only when there is a huge crisis in confidence like that makes a lot of sense that you realize that there is a problem and like you there is a reason why it might be better for you to hold a lot of your own assets on your own so I think um, there's that and also as we have more virtual assets like maybe you know people who make a lot of their assets or games uh, from games like they would realize that they would need a, a way for them to really store those assets, to, to transfer those assets and keep those assets on their own. Whereas like in the real world, they wouldn't really have any impact or wouldn't have any use. Like, so um, I was just uh, on a panel earlier and like there was an example that uh, Ryan was talking about uh, from Hash, and he was saying that like there was a guy, he's like a, like kind of like an old guy in he's super good at playing games and this is in Korea right so like he has these like amazing collection of uh, game items but they're worth nothing and he's actually really poor in, in real life but using like some DeFi solutions they're actually allowing him to turn his assets into you know kind of things that he could mortgage or things that he could um, use as uh, backing as assets for him to actually get loans in the real world for him to actually pay for his rent or buy food things like that so I think there is a huge um, 
there, there's a lot that can, that can be done uh, there. And I think like having, solving these problems and making it easier for people to able to access some of these things would be amazing for the long-term future. And uh, last question, what's your sort of like key focus for the next sort of 12 months? I think uh, CMC has more stuff that needs to be uh, updated. So, I mean, we talked about how the site still looks the same. So I think recently we made an acquisition for a team. So that's like our first ever acquisition of a team. And so they were a derivatives trading, uh, trading company, but they actually realized that there needs to be a way to better price um, market pairs. So they actually developed a pretty innovative pricing algorithm. So we actually bought over that product and brought the whole team into uh, CoinMarketCap. So I think we are looking forward to a lot more kind of better pricing, a lot more liquidity measures and other metrics, which would be relevant for people to understand exactly what they're getting to on the crypto side. So it goes beyond volume. So volume is the only metric we have now for like kind of assessing that. And I think we're trying to kind of move to having more of these data points and having more kind of fundamental analysis on the site itself. So helping people to have just more information and more ways for them to evaluate uh, crypto assets as a whole. So hopefully that will really uh, show itself in the next 12 months. This episode of Moonshot was produced and edited by me, Christopher Lawson. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And our artwork is by Andrew Millist. We'll be back with another episode of Moonshot next week. Thanks for listening.